You're listening to Theology for the Rest of Us. You've got tough questions. We'll try to give you easy answers. Now, here's your host, Kenny Ortiz. Hello and welcome in to another episode of Theology for the Rest of Us. I'm your host, Kenny Ortiz, coming at you from the beautiful metropolis of Orlando, Florida, deep in the heart of beautiful, rainy central Florida. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes out to listen to this episode of the podcast. Glad you tuned in. This is episode 146, and I'm going to be answering a question that is, what are the Dead Sea Scrolls and why do they matter? Really important, excited to dive in. Before we do, uh, let's take care of uh, some quick bits of business. Number one, I would love to ask everyone listening to this to make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast. I know that many of you are, are you know, who are listening are already subscribed. Big thank you. Um, if by chance you're listening to this and you are not subscribed, I would encourage you head on over to to whatever podcast app you're familiar with. Look us up, hit the subscribe button. It's a big deal. It guarantees you never miss an episode. Every episode gets delivered directly to your device whenever you're subscribed. The other thing I want to mention is I have another podcast that I'd love for you to check out that is designed for any uh, person that is serving in student ministry. So if you or someone you know are investing in the lives of middle school students, high school students, or college students serving in student ministry in any capacity, whatever, I want to highly encourage you to check that out or maybe tell some people about it that serve in student ministry. I think that'll be a great resource to you and those of you who are serving in student ministries. The easiest way to check that out is to head over to our website. It's studentministrypodcast.com. All right, let's dive into the topic at hand, the Dead Sea Scrolls. What are they and why do they matter? Really important topic. Glad to have a chance to dive into this. Uh, The Dead Sea Scrolls, in the minds of many people, are one of the most significant archaeological discoveries of modern times. Uh, If you're not familiar, uh, basically it was the discovery of manuscripts. There are a large chunk of scrolls in a particular location. I mentioned the Dead Sea Scrolls in our previous episode, episode 145, and in that episode I talked at length about Bible manuscripts. In essence, uh, this is what archaeologists and historians do. They, They find these manuscripts. These are basically scrolls or fragments of scrolls or copies of scrolls, uh, uh, and they contain ancient writings. And so what textual critics do is they, they take all these manuscripts and they kind of uh, examine them and like a detective would do, they reconstruct what those original writings said based upon looking at these at these ancient scrolls. And so oftentimes when you discover new manuscripts, they can be helpful in helping, to, helping you to either reconstruct ancient writings or they can help you corroborate or confirm, you know, whatever you've already reconstructed. And that's, in essence, what the Dead Sea Scrolls has been able to do in a, in a very significant way. To, to really understand the Dead Sea Scrolls and why they're significant, we've got to take a, a little stroll down history lane, so to speak, and kind of jump, jump back to uh, this group of people uh, that lived in this region. This group was called the, uh, the Essenes. They're this uh, group of people living in the ancient world. They lived in this region in the desert called Qumran. That was the name of, of the region there. And there's a bunch of caves in that region of the desert. And those are known as the Qumran Caves. And the community of people that lived there were often referred to as the Qumran community or the, the community of Qumran. 
Um, somewhere around 300 to 200 BC, you know, two or 300 years before Jesus is born, this, this very strict religious group of people called the Essenes, they show up on the scene. And they are, they are different than a lot of the other Jewish religious leaders. They are not rabbinical the way that many of the, the Pharisees and the other uh, Jewish leaders were. They're, this, they're more strict and they're unique and different from all the rest. And so they show up and they start to grow in popularity. They've been mentioned um, by, by a variety of different sources, both Jewish and Roman sources. And archaeologists and historians have determined that somewhere around uh, somewhere in the time between 200 BC and 150 BC, this group of people, they leave the rest of the, the Israeli communities, the Jewish communities, and they go kind of start their own community in the Qumran region. So again, they, they kind of come into existence somewhere around, somewhere between 300 and 200 BC, and then sometime in the next 50 to 100 years, they move out of Jerusalem and out of the existing Jewish communities, and they start their own new community in the Qumran region. Um, and that and that community would exist for approximately 200 years or so. To kind of give you an idea as to what this group would have been like, um, the, the only modern equivalent we might have today would be Am the Amish people, right? The Amish people, they're a part of the United States, but uh, they're a much more stricter religious sect of people, and they live very separate from the rest of, of the world. They have very little contact and interaction with people of you know of the United States as a whole. That's kind of how the, the Essenes were uh, in the Qumran community. They were kind of separate from the rest of the Jewish communities. Now, in this Qumran community, they had writings, right? They had a variety of scrolls, and they had a bunch of holy texts, you know, biblical texts, or what would have been what we today now call the Old Testament. They also had commentaries on biblical texts, just like we have commentaries today, right? People will write essays and, and write articles about um, different biblical texts. They also had their own commentaries on different biblical texts. They had lectures that have been transcribed and you know, written down. They have legal writings, historical writings, different pieces of literature. They've got scrolls on animal skin, papyrus. Uh, they even have scrolls on copper. And so this is very clear that this community took their documents and their writings very seriously. They saw that their writings uh, in a lot of ways as unique and sacred. And so they, they took good care of them in a lot of ways. And so the, this community exists for, you know, more hundred, more than 200 years. They're living there. It is believed that this community had hoped to eventually go back to Jerusalem and kind of reinstitute their very strict religious order of living or way of living and put that back in place in Jerusalem. They feel like that the, the, the brand of Judaism that existed in the, in the, in the first century and, and before that was kind of a corrupted version. And they were probably right in some ways, uh, by, you know, when we look at the way Jesus interacted with some of the Jewish religious leaders, so there's no doubt that the, the Essenes were probably on to something in, in that regard. Um, uh, but they never make it back to Jerusalem because their community gets wiped out. In 68 AD, the Romans are on their way to Jerusalem to destroy the Jewish temple and to and to put down a Jewish rebellion. This is a part of the the Jewish uh, the, the Roman Jewish wars. And in 68 AD, um, a, a crew of Roman military they they roll through this community and they basically wipe it out and destroy it, kill a bunch of people. Um, but in the process, a bunch of these people living in Qumran they run into these caves. And they hide a bunch of their scrolls. Now, no doubt a bunch of them were lost and burned and destroyed, but they end up saving a bunch of them and they hide them in these caves while they're hiding out to kind of try to save their lives to not die at the hands of the Romans. And many of the people ended up dying or escaping. But what ends up happening is that these 
these scrolls that are hidden in these secret caves in the desert, they end up sitting in these caves completely untouched for almost 1900 years. And it's not until 1947 that the discovery is made that in these caves, we discover a bunch of scrolls. And as these caves are excavated and examined, we find somewhere between 600 and 800 different scrolls. The reason why there's some discrepancy on the number is because sometimes uh, when archaeologists are, then they find a new a new fragment, a new piece of a scroll. They're not sure if it belongs to uh, one of the scrolls they've already you know, discovered and identified, or if it belongs to a separate scroll, you know, they're, they're still working that out. In fact, the work is still going on all the way up till today to, to identify which scrolls were found and what was there. Um, so there's a chunk of them that haven't even yet been fully identified, but there's a lot of them that have been identified. And so as we examine these scrolls, they give us incredible great insight into this Qumran community, but they also give us some insight into Judean life you know, in, in that time before the life of Jesus. It's really remarkable. Um, most of the scrolls are not biblical writings. They're, they're other writings. They're historical writings or other pieces of literature that are not necessarily biblical writings per se. They've got a lot of legal writings, a lot of things that they expected from the people living in the Qumran community. So all those are documented. But more than 200 of the scrolls are biblical scrolls. They are uh, either chunks of books of the Bible, you know, where at that time they only had the Old Testament. So uh, chunks of the Old Testament, books of the Old Testament. In fact, every single book of the Old Testament is represented except the book of Esther. Uh, so for whatever reason, um, they either didn't have a copy of the book of Esther or it was lost and hasn't been identified. But, but every book of the Old Testament has been identified. And we find huge chunks of the of different books in the Old Testament. The greatest discovery comes from the first cave in Qumran and that we and there we find a an entire uh, a complete version, a complete scroll of the book of Isaiah. And this is a, an unbelievable discovery. Um, in fact, the scroll that was found in the Qumran community, most scholars believe predates the Essenes moving to Qumran. So th this scroll was written, you know, probably 300 years before Jesus. The Qumran people, the Essenes, they get a hold of this scroll and when they move to Qumran, they bring that scroll with them. So th this scroll that they have is actually older than, than the, even the Qumran community itself. And when we compare this Isaiah scroll to the book of Isaiah in our modern Bibles today, we find that they match to near perfection, right? We see that the scroll that's 2,300 years old or so and being compared to our modern Bibles matching, it proves that the Bible has been transmitted over the course of the centuries, again, with near perfect accuracy. And it's not just the Isaiah scroll. All of the scrolls that we find that are part of the Dead Sea Scrolls you know, pr point us to the exact same thing. When we compare the manuscripts and the fragments of the manuscripts that are discovered there in the Qumran caves, we compare those to our modern scriptures. We, we find over and over again uh, near perfect matches. It, we, the, the evidence that the Bible has been transmitted over the centuries, been copied over the centuries over and over again with near perf perfect accuracy, that the Bible was, was well preserved through the centuries, and that the Bible we have today is authentic, that it has not been altered or changed over the course of the centuries. This should be a huge confidence booster to all of us who are believers and have confidence in the scripture.
Hey, before I let you go, let me give you one quick resource that I think will be a, a value to you if you want to do some a deeper study on the topic of the Dead Sea Scrolls. I mean, you could just go to Google and type in Dead Sea Scrolls and you'll get, I mean, thousands of hits will come back. Uh, but the book that I would recommend is called Second Thoughts on the Dead Sea Scrolls by F.F. F. Bruce. You, you've heard me mention Bruce in previous episodes. If, you, if you've been listening to some of the previous episodes, F.F. F. Bruce is a, a great biblical scholar that I respect and trust quite a bit. Again, it's called Second Thoughts on the Dead Sea Scrolls. That's by F.F. F. Bruce. That'll be valuable to you. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. I hope this has been helpful and insightful and encouraging. If you have a question or a topic that you'd like me to address on the podcast, please feel free to shoot me an email. Or if you think you know someone that would make a great interview guest, I'd also love to hear from you. Shoot me an email. The address is heyortiz at theologyfortherestofus.com. That's H-E-Y-O-R-T-I-Z at theologyfortherestofus.com. I'm Kenny Ortiz, and this has been Theology for the Rest of Us.